Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, let's take a look at the first one. And uh, thank you to Beth for sending in this um, into this suggestion. Uh, Rena Jean, um, uh, quite uh, amongst the 10 uh, today, quite a number of stocks that we haven't covered on the call, which is fabulous, because I love learning about new companies listed on the market. It's an emerging domestic natural gas and helium uh, producer. Yep. Michael? Look, I had to do a bit of research about this one, yeah. I must admit. Um, they've got basically one key asset um, in South Africa that they're looking to develop. So they've done all the the um, all the exploration, if you like. Uh, they've worked out how they're going to extract the gas. They've now tapped their their debt um, and um, one of their banks has provided them the money to now go and, and drill and extract this gas. Yep. Uh, they've also got agreements with Total, who's one of the, the big oil companies, mm. to supply directly into a couple of um, loading stations, if you like, along the highway in South Africa from Johannesburg to Durban. So it looks like they've got the whole range um, of the process sewn up from the exploration, the production, and they've already got someone to distribute that gas to, which I think reduces the risk of this project significantly, right. although it is a one asset business at this point in time. In Africa. In, in Africa. <laughs> which are issue. always all the alarm bells are one <laughs> asset in Africa. That's but. right. Um, and they've had an issue recently with um, how they were going to go about putting in the infrastructure to extract that gas, because you've got to do it on the right angle. You've got to do it uh. at certain increments along the gas seams. So it's pretty challenging. They seem to have overcome that, but it does also highlight the complexity of some of this stuff sometimes. Right. Okay. I had, to, I had to do a bit yeah. of cramming this morning yeah. too. I, had, I mean, generally, it's probably becoming apparent the more we do this show, it's just not a sector I invest in. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's not to be um, uh, overly critical at any one business. It's just a very, very, very tough game. Yeah. Um, and then you, you raise the things that Michael has just brought up as well. So, you know, it's just, I think any investor that gets into this just has to be aware of the very high risk that, you're, that, that you are taking yeah. with something yeah. like this. And when things go wrong, they tend to go very, very wrong. Um, even when they go right, let's say they develop this asset and they, they start getting some money out of it. Don't expect as a shareholder for that to end up in your pocket. They will want to broaden their asset base. They will want to develop new projects and, 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 and they need to because as soon as you start developing a, a, an asset like that, I mean, you start extracting the, the raw material, it becomes yeah. worth less and less and less and less. So that needs to be replaced at some stage. So, so it's a very capital intensive business that any money that ever does get earned, a lot of it needs to be plowed back into it. And, and then you face all of those risks again. So um, as I was discussing with Michael before we started here, there's so much context and nuance associated with all of this stuff. Yep. So someone out there who knows this really well is probably screaming at me right now saying, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. And I don't with this particular company. Um, but but I, I, would, I, would, I would encourage the, the viewer to sort of really pick into the detail here and understand yep. exactly the risk yep. you're taking. Yep, okay, all right. So we'll say, 
you need to really focus on this. It's not something that either of the guys follow, so you need to get your own expert advice on it. Let's take a look. Uh, thank you for that, Beth. Our, our second stock is suggested by Frank. AMA Group, a leader in, uh, they, they call themselves the vehicle aftercare and accessories market. That is all the parts and specialised automotive um, um, products that go for used cars and the like. Um, Andrew, is this sort of like a, a Batcorp, is it? Or No, it's a little bit different. So it's like panel beaters, workshops, ah, right. that, that kind of thing. Ah. And and it's actually... So, so it's a roll-up. It, it is a roll-up, yes. Right. And it is an, an extremely fragmented... Like Stead, Steadfast rolls up insurance brokers. Exactly. It yes. rolls up panel beaters. Okay. A wonderful right. model when it yeah. works well. A wonderful yeah, yeah. model when it works well. And God awful model when it doesn't, it doesn't right. and and unfortunately it you know it, when it doesn't work out is not too uncommon. Right. Having said that, um, the, the business has it's one of these things where you know the founder had his own workshop. I think it was thirty years ago, and it's just really been a wonderful success story. Yep. It is an incredibly fragmented market. They, they've been gobbling that up. I think they've got about ten percent of of the market now, um, which is great. Um, when you look at the which I think is always a useful exercise is for an investor to look at the unit economics here. You know, so how do they actually make their money at the coal face here? Yep. And when you add, when you have one workshop and you multiply that by two, mm. yes, your revenues might double, but so do all of your costs and the rest of it. So, so what what these roll-up plays look to do is they look to get a lot of synergies in terms of maybe you can um, outsource a lot of the corporate stuff and the marketing stuff, right. and you get you get better scale and group buying, and group buying, and, and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. So there, there's definitely. Uh, method to the madness there yeah. um, it just it just does come with risk and the risk comes with um, it, it, when access to capital dries up or they make a poor acquisition they fail to integrate well and these things just tend to be to be pretty common um, what was interesting on this one I noticed recently that one of the insiders Simon Moore one of the directors is buying a bunch of shares recently uh, interestingly enough in the AFR <laughs> commenting a couple of weeks before some market sensitive announcements uh, which I'm sure was all above board but um, uh, Mr. Moore holds 30 million shares. The CEO, Andrew Hopkins, has about 37 million okay. shares. About they got 5%, skin in the game. Huge skin in the game, 5% each, and buying recently, which is well. Pre-COVID, so COVID has knocked them, knocked them for six. Mm. Uh, everyone's staying at home, so no one's driving. Yeah. Um, uh, but they've said that actually things have held up better than they had expected, yeah. um, which, is, which is really great. Pre all of this, they were looking to grow their EBITDA, so their operating profit from about 55 to 75 million, which is really some, some great growth there. Um, revenues have uh, doubled, I think, in the last three years or so. So, look, if you look at it all on a normalised basis, the, the stock's probably on a P of about 17 or so. So, again, um, a bit of a question of how quickly we all we all come yeah. back. If we what we see in what's happening in Victoria happens in other states, that's going to reset everything and sort yeah. of send it all back. So that's I think a big a big risk to, to look out for. Um, that's sort of on across the market. That, that is very true. Is although, although although some some a bit more exposed than others. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, one one to watch. I I I'd need to do a lot more research before I was comfortable to buy, but it doesn't seem ridiculous at this point. Okay. Uh, it's, again, it's not one that I covered in, in too much detail, but it's an interesting roll-up model. Uh, one red flag for me uh, is the fact that margins have been declining, the return on equity has been declining over the last 10 years, mm. and leverage has been picking up, obviously, as they borrow to acquire more businesses. Um, earlier this year, they had a pretty big drop-off, as you can see from the, the yeah. chart there, because they delivered all these great revenue numbers because of all the acquisitions that they'd undertaken, but the earnings number, the profit number, was actually worse than the market was expecting, which again right. is a bit of a red flag that 
some of those acquisitions aren't being integrated as nicely or successfully as management would have hoped. So yep. um, if for mine, it's not, not a buy, um, I'll probably continue to avoid it. We prefer BAPCOR in yep. the space, um, although they're not very similar businesses. They're similar, yeah. but not the same businesses. They're, they're a car accessories that's and right. parts business. Yeah. Um, and with AMA, Pro- they'll probably st- sell to AMA. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. 100%. They would, they would totally that's supply that's them. spot on. So the um, thing with AMA, they were struggling even before um, the COVID in terms of new car sales weren't coming through. Yeah. Um, they've had a few issues with insurers and the pricing of insurance, um, because obviously they, a lot of insurers will refer, that's right, will right. refer, mm-hmm business onto them and they've sort of renegotiated some of that pricing and it's meant to be more favorable for them. But I'd like to see how it actually plays out um, over the next sort of six months to a year before making a decision on that. Obviously, directors buying in big numbers is always a, a good sign. Um, yeah. The fact is it wasn't small amounts, it was actually quite sizable stakes. So that is a pretty good leading indicator more often than not. But I just think again, out of the whole market, yeah. Uh, would I be investing in this company? Probably not, just because okay. those points I outlined. All right. Okay, there you go, Frank. Um, our third stock, um, still in that automotive area, something, um, a stock I hadn't heard of, Vimoto, is a global scooter manufacturing and distribution group. Um, um, it um, uh, listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, has a huge manufacturing facility in Nanjing in, uh, in China, and um, it's in into electric scooters, I think, Michael, from yeah. um, my reading of it as well. Um, so, so number one, why is it listed here? Yeah, uh, <laughs> and have a big manufacturing facility in China. Fascinating yeah. story, though. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I, Again, I wasn't familiar with this one, but it, it was very interesting to me to understand yeah. why a company like that would be listed in Australia, um, because all their business is international, yeah. their manufacturing and, and all their facilities are, are in China. But the numbers look pretty attractive. I mean, electric scooters, it's yep. used a lot in having agreements with like the deliveroos of this world. Uh, also various ride sharing companies around the world have been purchasing scooters, mainly in, in Europe as well, um, for them, which has helped boost up their, their unit numbers. So it does seem to look quite attractive on many fronts. Um, it's gone from being a loss-making company to a profitable organization. So. On those points alone, it does look like something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't rush in and buy it without understanding those nuanced points about right. the company and the different right. intricacies. But they are driving growth. It is off a low base, but the unit numbers have been expanding sort of in excess of 40% year on year, right. which is always quite a, an appealing characteristic for a company. Yeah. Uh, they must have a bit of a, a niche market when it comes to these electric scooters. I thought of them as being these tiny sort of fold up um, bicycles, if you like, with tiny motors, but they're not. Yeah. They're actually the full, yeah, the proper, the full ones, proper yeah. ride-on yeah. scooters. So, yeah, interesting company <laughs> and worth doing some more research and due diligence on, but I wouldn't have it as a buy now. Right. Um, but also, is it one of those companies that that is basically a Chinese company yeah. that has listed here, which we, we've had a few of That's them, right. because listing on the Australian Stock Exchange for a lot of Chinese companies is seen to be more prestigious than That's on the right. Shanghai Exchange or even the Hong Kong Exchange. So it's is that more, what it is? A more mature market, uh, better access to capital, yeah, um, and you can build that credibility that way. And I think that's possibly why they've decided to do that. Yeah. Who knows, there might be some other linkage to Australia in some sense, but again, yeah. you need to do your work yeah. to work that out. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar either with the, the rationale behind it, but yeah, I, look, when I first um, saw the name and, you know, we, 
30 seconds into having a bit of a read up on it, I thought, there's no way, <laughs> you know, it's sort of just doesn't, doesn't tick a lot of the boxes I look for. But as Michael said, I mean, unit sales have been really, really strong here. Um, there is a, a real, um, uh, seems to be a bit of a secular shift towards the product that they've got. I mean, the, the automotive, like for market for, for cars and, and scooters and that extraordinarily competitive, extraordinarily thin margin kind of businesses. Yeah. Um, but they seem to be doing well. And what's interesting about it is they seem to be passing this inflection point. So often companies, you know, they spend years and years and years sort of trying to get just to the starting line. And then, and then they've built up all the infrastructure, all the capacity, all the marketing, all of the resources that they need, and then sales start to take off. Yep. And what you hope to see in a situation like that is that the existing base that they've built up is able to support a much higher level of sales, which just means when you do the math that you get to a point where a lot of those sales just drop straight to the bottom line. Yep. So you might get revenue growing at 10%, but the earnings grows much, much faster as you pass through that point. Right. So potentially that's what they're looking, looking at having mm. done very recently. And one of the traps with these kinds of companies, if in fact this is the case with them, and again, I need to do more work to, to know if that's, that's it, they always look expensive because you've got this very, very low, relatively low earnings number relative to the share price. So on these guys, it's 56 times PE, yeah. which, which you know, would make you weep on for, for most, most other kind of companies. But it does, it, it does make sense if, in fact, they can grow at sort of reasonably, reasonably high double-digit rates yeah. for a few years. That PE comes right down. Um, so I'd, I'd put it, again, in a very risky basket, yep. but also one worth watching. Okay. And I point out that they did say that COVID's actually been a benefit to them because, mm -hmm. obviously, everyone's getting home delivery. Uh, and also the ride-sharing yeah. side of things, no one wants to be stuck in a car yep. with too many people. So that's potentially what's also yeah. put a bit of a rocket on um, them. Do I have volume? Uh, going through because some yeah, I, I remember um, you know how you always have war stories with <laughs> with uh, China's China's biggest uh, football boot manufacturer uh, uh, number three in the world behind um, Nike and Reebok I yeah. think it is or Adidas uh, listed on the Australian market for a while I thought God you know why not the yeah. third biggest in the world huge China's playing footy, um, but it was so tightly held yeah. by the, the Chinese family that that owned the business, and um, it was like investing in a private company oh, really, listed yeah. on the Australian share market, and there was no volume, so it could never get out. Well, I mean, to, to yeah. list, there's meant to be these volume requirements. Ah. You're meant to have X amount in free float so that you don't get Right. These, uh, what they call crab pots or something. Yeah, you can yeah. get in, but you can't get, get out. out. Our fourth stock today is Bingo Group, um, the big Australian waste management company founded by the Tartak business, a great Australian family business story. Um, started as a, one of those small skip bin operations by Tony Tartak and uh, um, listed on the market and has grown like Topsy. You probably see the, uh, the trucks around each of the major cities. Um, residential and commercial waste services, it's in recycling now. They even manufacture uh, bins, Andrew, mm -hmm. don't they? So, yeah. you know, I love it. Great little Aussie Australian business story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they've done, they've done pretty well um, over, the, over the long term. They did hit a bit of a snag about a year ago or so. There was some construction volumes were falling off, so they are ex exposed to that. 
They seem to have made the shift more to the after collections part of the business or the waste processing part of the, of the business. Um, obviously, they collect a lot of waste from, from industries that have been very exposed. So hotels, you know, cleaning out grease traps and things like this kind oh, of stuff as, oh, okay. as well. Yep. It's about 14% of their revenue exposed to that kind of area, which has taken a 20 to 30% slump. The hope is, is that with all of this fiscal stimulus coming down the pipe, particularly in infrastructure, that that's going to be good for these guys. Um, we'll see if, if, if that is the case. We've seen already historically, you look at the long-term chart, it's really fallen away and then come back yeah. and then fallen away. So it, yeah. a lot rests on this work uh, coming through and then actually being able to secure it. Right. But one of the traps that you've got to watch out for here is that companies that are, work on a contract kind yeah, of take, basis. Take a look at that halfway through. Roller coaster. 2018, that's not the COVID crunch. That's... <laughs> Something property totally different, up. property market. And, and then bounce back yeah, all the yeah, way, yeah. you know. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's some, that volatility is something to be aware of. But the, the point I was going to make was that they, um, what can happen is that the whole sector is going to be hurting, right? And then new, new tenders will come to market and we all want the work. Mm. We all need the work. Mm. And in our, in our rush to win that work, we all drop our prices. So you get this situation where you get people who actually do win the work, but the margins are just so super, super, yeah. super thin. So there can actually be, in some cases, it's actually better not to win the contract at all, because especially if you end up being a loss on it. So I think that's one of the potential things to watch out for here with a very hungry and somewhat desperate kind of industry that's all been hit hard, trying to win work. They all undercut each other and no one wins. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, negative net loss for everyone. Right. Sure. So not for you? Not for me, no. Um, look, right it's on. a combination of two great Australian businesses, really, sort of the small suburban business really taking off. Um, bingo purchased Dialer Dumps, so New South Wales ah, viewers mm. will probably be familiar with the yeah. big yellow spins when right. yeah, construction. Yeah, yeah. So Ford purchased that for about 600 million a couple of years ago. Um, so they've built up a lot of scale. I think they've got over three, oh, not 30,000 bins. They've got all these different collection vehicles and they do really dominate that residential construction market. Um, and the big question is, and I don't think anyone can really answer this for any with any certainty is how is the COVID environment yeah. going to impact on construction figures? Um, so because of the cyclical nature of the business, the uncertainty uh, in what things are going to look like going forward uh, would be a, a sell for us or an avoid for us. Yeah. Not that it's not a, a good business, it's just the environment and the conditions are very challenging for that sort of company at the moment. And I think the point that Andrew makes about more people competing over less work is a very yeah. good point and something that's poignant in this situation because before you know it, those margins can disappear uh, and it just puts downward pressure on pricing. But the thing is with these sorts of companies, they need the volume to keep rolling over one contract to the next. Yeah. So yeah. it's a difficult place to be. And that property market, particularly the residential property market and particularly yeah. apartments in a city apartments, just looks yeah. diabolical at the moment <laughs> over get the next started. year. Yeah. You know, it's... We did a thing on, I put in my newsletter on Friday and we did a thing on Sunrise on Monday, but um, in Sydney, one in six inner city apartments are vacant at the moment. It's crazy. And, and listings have risen 45% in the last month, mm. six weeks. Mm. It's just, it's and, and there are more coming, <laughs> coming on stream. Well, I think they're hoping maybe that some of this infrastructure spending will flow through and they'll get some benefit from right. that, but I doubt that will offset uh, the troubles that we're seeing uh, as yeah. you just pointed out. Yeah, all right, so uh, I know on bingo there, Samantha, thanks for the suggestion. Um, our fifth stock to have a look at today comes from Chris 
XRF Scientific. Um, they're into sort of all of this sort of technical, medical, sort of labware, chemicals, um, fusion-related technology. So I've, I feel as I've got to put my lab coat on to understand <laughs> this. Michael, do you understand I it? might actually pass over to Andrew. All right. Because <laughs> we were talking about it off air and he mentioned that he might have a oh, I'm sure, hold on. Oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> so sorry um, to take over so what they do? Um, what they do is they, they give customers the certainty of the purity um, and of their, of their products. So you're looking at mines. For example, you know what, what's the grade of, of copper that we're extracting? Right. You, you need to know that kind of stuff. So they, they test all of that. Ah. And it's, so there are sort of mining services. Yeah, they, they are. Like, although yeah. they, they deal with other industries as well, but a big yeah. part does come from mining. But this is essential stuff. This is not mm. nice to have. You have to have this for, yeah. for for a mine. And it's it's an interesting company because. Um, the reason I found it is ranked number four on Strawman. So it's been very popular amongst our users, about 18% return for, for the index so far for our index. Um, so it makes, it makes you sit up mm. and, and pay attention. And it's got this, this lovely, what you might call a razor and blade model, yeah. like with Gillette. You know, they don't make much money on the razor, but they really get it back on, on, the, on the blades. So they have this, they have this capital equipment. So they've got these fusion machines that do all the analysis and stuff, and they make a margin on that. It's a profitable part of the business, a big part of the business revenue-wise. But but it's the consumables for those devices ah. that really make the margin. So the chemicals you chuck in it and test it. All the reagents ah. and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> a bit uh, like Nespresso as well. Consumables yeah. are 30% of sales. Um, but they make up about 55% of net profit. So it, it shows you where the money okay. is here. And they've okay. got another part of the business with Platinum mm. Lab. Where I, I shouldn't go on too much it's about interesting. it. It's interesting. But, it, but it's, what's really interesting about it is as well, and I was saying to Michael earlier, every now and again you get a business on the ASX where the financials hide the true story. Yeah. And these guys have had a, a, a long period of very, very significant capital investment. So R&D on, on equipment, um, uh, manufacturing capacity, all this kind of stuff, that they're done with now, largely. So yeah. they're going to see a big ramp up in efficiency, productivity, their costs are going to go down. So you're going to see an expansion in margins going forward for this business mm. um, as, it, as it leverages off all of that investment that it's made in previous okay. years. We sort of depressed everything. Yeah. Um, and so, look, these guys got hit during the, the sell-off earlier on. I was glad to pick some up. I think it got below 15 cents at one stage. Right. I think it's probably still worth about 30 cents conservatively. Right, okay. So I like so, it. So and, I, like and, I, it and I'm biased. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Full disclosure. Okay. Yeah. But uh, really terrific to learn about that. It's it, fabulous. Yeah, it's really one. Really so we'll, watch. we'll um, take his word for it. Take his word for it, I think. <laughs> Whatever he says. But um, <laughs> could be it's totally wrong. I think what sort of, um, when I first was looking at it, I thought, yeah, mining services, it's mm. very cyclical along with the mining industry. But then when you look into it, it is that critical a device or infrastructure that's required really across the yeah. board. Um, and they are well capitalised. They've got increasing cash on their balance sheet. All the divisions have been performing well. And I think that's always something to, to keep an eye on. Mm. Uh, debt levels are, are very under control or manageable. So yep. good balance they sheet, good dividend. story. They yeah. pay a dividend. Oh. So worth looking into. Not one I was familiar with, but yeah. one I'll probably look at. Have a look at. Okay. All right, let's um, just recap the uh, the top five there before we get into the second half. Uh, Auckland Airport, um, were, uh, stock of the day, worth a look um, over the longer term, good company. Uh, Renogen, um, really not on the guy's radar, not in a, a position to give an opinion, but get some good advice on it. Um, AMA, a no from both of them. Uh, for Michael, he prefers Babcorp 
in that area, sort of different uh, sort of company, but in the automotive space. Uh, Vmoto um, is something that we've, we've really enjoyed learning about. Um, um, for Michael, it's to keep an eye on it. Um, and for Andrew, high risk. Bingo, a no from both of the guys. And XRF sounds like a really interesting company that Andrew's done a lot of work on and, and likes. Michael says debt levels and all the financials look to be under control. So uh, some really good ones to learn about there. Thank you for sending them in. Uh, let's get on to our uh, sixth stock today, sent in by Nick, uh, Washington H. Sol Pattinson. Everyone think, oh, it's the chemist. Um, not really anymore. Uh, Michael, it's an investment company, isn't it? That's right. Um, been around for a long time. The thing with this business is, and everyone's sort of familiar with the fact that at least they are in the industry, that's basically since they've listed, they've always paid a dividend every single year. Um, that dividend's increased year after year since 2000. So obviously the, the Milner family, who's in control of this business, have some sense of what they're doing and they've been delivering consistent returns for their shareholders. The thing with Sol Pats is 80% of their business is across three investments. TPG Telecom, who's recently merged with Vodafone. Uh, New Hope Coal is right. the other one. And the final one is Brickworks. So whichever way those companies move really determines the performance of Sol Pats. Um, they do have some other unlisted investments. They've also got a portfolio of listed shares on a smaller scale, and that makes up the rest of their business. But shrewd operators who have shown their ability to deploy cash into weak points in the cycle um, because of their size and their scale and the amount of shares that they hold and the position that they sit on that shareholder registry it does give them clout that you don't get as an individual investor and that's potentially why people right. would look at them they're a steady dividend payer it's not a huge dividend yield but it's a steady growing dividend yield which makes a big difference and over the long period of time that they have shown themselves to be able to extract good value um, out of companies. So below $20 to you? Look, for me, I try and pick businesses on an active scale. So I would look at TPG Telecom um, and say, maybe it's not a business I want to hold right now. I'd look at Brickworks, again, probably the same thing. And then New Hope Coal, again, I wouldn't really want to own that myself. Right. So okay. based on that, I wouldn't want to own Sol Pats, but I can understand why people would. It's almost a form of a ETF or an LIC right. listed investment company where you're basically putting your faith in management yep. uh, and backing them over the long run to make some good investments yep. on your behalf. And Andrew, while they invest in Brickworks, Brickworks invests back in them. Too. <laughs> Don't so ask me to of, explain that. It's sort of <laughs> yeah. like a, it's almost like a protect, uh, yeah. not, I'm not talking thugs here, but financially a protection ring, isn't it? For, it it yeah, was put in place for exactly yes. that reason. Yeah. Someone was agitating to sort of break them all up at yeah. one stage and it, it starts to really do your head in when you think about how yeah. that how that actual how mechanics works. of that work. <laughs> um, but look, Solpats is, is a wonderful company, sometimes referred to as a mini Berkshire on the ASX. Uh, it's probably a very favourable uh, uh, yeah. comparison, but but they've, they've earned it. You know, Michael Gee, you'd said, love to have that tag, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, uh, well, funny story, I actually met Robert Milner um, in Omaha at the 50-year, uh, 50th Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting and right. they're having more than a few beers actually with him and, and, and his team and I got to tell you they, they are they are 
they are big sort of value investor acolytes. You know, they, yep. they, 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 they drink the Kool-Aid from the Buffett fountain, but they're, but they're wonderful practitioners as well. And all you need to do to look at that is look at the, the wealth that they have created for shareholders over decades and decades. Yep. Michael said before, the dividend has increased every year for the last 20 years. Wow. That's only one of two companies to, to have done that on the entire ASX. The other, I think, being Ramsey, uh, I think. Um, but more than that, the dividend increase each year has CAGED, a compound annual growth rate, so an average annual growth rate of 9% per annum, which is, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, uh, as Michael rightly points out, though, I mean, you've got to have a view on the underlying businesses here, or you just have to have a huge amount of faith in, in management. And the other thing I would sort of say is that this is always going to be a long-term play. This isn't something you're just right. going to buy and then maybe I'll sell in six to 12 months. Right. Pop this one in the bottom drawer. I think you could. I think you could do far worse. Okay. I'd be a happy buyer. Okay, terrific. All right, uh, there you go, Nick. Um, good assessment there on uh, on Solpat. Um, our sixth, uh, seventh stock comes from Paul. Isatana uh, company uh, that I hadn't heard of before. It's a software company providing video analytics, um, and I think. Um, uh, identification, facial identification for, for large-scale surveillance networks. Um, Andrew, have you... Never heard of them before, yeah. but it, it, it's fascinating. Really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. You think about all the CCTV cameras around, yeah. and they're, they're usually there for retrospective purposes. Something happens, yeah. you go back and you review the footage. So the value proposition here is we've got a bunch of AI watching these screens 24-7. They never get sleepy. They never need a toilet break, yeah. you know. And, and, and that technology is getting really advanced yep. as well. So using AI. It's using yeah, AI. Yeah. So, so when you look at the, the pitch decks for these kinds of companies, they, they, they rightly point out, it's a gazillion dollar global market opportunity, and yep. we hope to win all of this kind of stuff, which, which is all legitimate. Um, the, the thing that, and again, I've only just been, become aware of this company, so you need to do a lot more work on it. But the thing that I guess I would be a little bit concerned about is that you've got this small ASX listed company, what, $12 million market cap. You know, they're not right. the only ones doing uh, image recognition, you know, and I, there, there's going to be players out there with far bigger cannons, you know, the yep. Googles and the likes of it. So I wonder what makes their technology so wonderful that it's better than, than all the stuff coming out of Silicon Valley. And, and yep. maybe, maybe it is. I, yep. I don't want to suggest that it isn't, but that's, that's really what I'd want to nail down. Um, they have been growing their recurring revenues very, very fast, um, up about 19% most recently, which is really great. Um, they are, however, cash flow negative. They burnt through about 1.4 million in the last quarter alone, and there's only about 3.23 million dollars left in the bank as well. So right. they, they, they do need to sort of um, get to a cash flow positive situation pretty quickly, or they're going to have to raise some cash again, and that's some added dilution. Um, if you if you pro rata out their sales. Um, that they've gone recently, they're on about eight times sales as well. So that's mm. that's not cheap. I mean, no. you, you, we do see that for some of the very big prestigious, in fact, a lot more than that for yeah. some of the big technology companies. Yeah. But this, this, the, I would still argue that that is that is a high multiple. So they, are, the, the the bulls on this have to answer two questions. Like, so yes, I, okay, there's an argument for for ongoing strong sales growth and eventual um, earnings growth. Great, but is it in the price or not? Because as we've talked about before, you can have companies that perform very well, but the share price performs very badly because there's just too much hype in it. No business is worth an infinite amount. So they're the two things to address. Okay. Uh, it's obviously a very uh, growing industry, video yep. analytics, surveillance. I think it's compound growth rate, sort of 20% per year. So there's definitely a big market out there that they're looking to capture a slice of the pie. 
Um, I was reading through their presentation slides and basically their point of difference, if you like, is that they pick up 80% of unusual movements where their competitors can only process between 15 and 20 objects and the fail rate is a lot higher um, mm. than what this company is able to achieve. So they obviously have a very high quality, um, it's basically a server Technology, uh, yeah. that they then link up to all these different cameras. But it's, it's small beer at the moment. They've got, I think, 30 clients or they're used in 30 locations. Uh, so the, the growth numbers look very, very good, but it's off a very low base. And the question is, will they be able to maintain that rate of, of growth? Um, and yeah, because, because it's just off a very, very small base at the moment. Will they be able to capture that scale? Will they be able to keep um, raising capital to continue to grow, yep. that's the, the big what it's if. It's tiny. 11 mil, 12 mil market cap, that is as small as it gets really on the ASX. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, look, interesting business. Sounds like they've got some very interesting software, but it's gonna be a long, long way until they get to a size right. that, that really... So a bit small for you both as yeah, well. Yeah, and unfortunately yep. too, it's the kind of stock that, that, that a certain retail element really gets in. It's discussed on a lot of um, message boards, the share price is yep. going up. It's very easy to pitch a high level bull case for this, you know, AI, image yeah, recognition, yeah. Yeah. big market. Good story. Yeah. And so everyone piles in and not, not anyone who's, generally speaking, I'm, I'm generalizing, you've done a lot of research and work on right. it. And then what happens at some point the party ends and so even with companies that ultimately do go successful you see this big spike this huge fall and then a very slow sort of return to that level so so be aware of that all right so i know on isotona uh there paul um our next stock well it's uh, an etf the banek us wide moat um fund andrew and this is a an ETF that invests in American stocks that have a competitive advantage is basically yes. the underlying. Yeah, so Moat Mo is this concept that Buffett really sort of, uh, I guess, popularized. And yeah. it's this idea of something that gives you, something that keeps the competitors away, gives you pricing power. You know, we can do something that no one else can do kind of thing. So Moats are great. I, mean, I, I, would, I would argue yeah. very strongly, in fact, that as an investor, you should spend a good yeah. deal of your time trying to work when you when someone pitches you a company it's like what's their moat yeah. because what's what, their competitive advantage to stop somebody else coming in and, and doing it the nature yep. of capitalism is is that you know high margin profitable businesses are a siren song to everyone else out there yeah so if we've got this wonderful business and we're just raking it in people yep. notice that and that's like moths to a flame you know yep. and so what that means longer term is that everyone rushes in there's a lot more competition and your margins eventually decline. So you want a business that can fend that off. Apple is the classic case here. No one can make an iPhone, right? Mm. Plenty of other people can make a smartphone, but for some reason, I, Apple can charge twice as much as everyone else. Yep. That's a moat. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, and it's a whole, we could do a whole hour just on moats alone, so I won't do that. Yeah. So, so, but, I, but I will say that for, as far as the ETF is concerned, I, 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 the, the, the raison d'etre, if you will, is a very sound one. What I would want to know, if I was to look at this more closely, is how do you define the moats? How do you yep. measure that? Because it's like saying that quality management is really important. Well, of course it is, but yeah. that doesn't, you can't, you can't eat that Pretty out of a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, there's no ratio that, you know, that, that, so, it, so it's tough to define. Um, so that's interesting. Having a quick look at their top 10 holdings, you've got things like Amazon, Facebook, BlackRock, Intel, passes the sniff test at that, that level. Viva, I'm actually aware of these guys. Um, and the other thing I would say as well, the, the, the ETF Viva itself has p- performed very well. Yeah. So 100% up in the last yeah. five years. So ah. it, it looks interesting, um, but... You'd, I would want to read the, the, the product disclosure statement pretty okay. closely. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite an interesting uh, ETF because this is not just one of your passive index huggers. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a couple of the old favorites in there, Amazon, Facebook, but there's mixed in with some businesses that you haven't come across before. Um, but ultimately, they've got, I think, 20% of the ETFs exposed to technology, 20% to healthcare. So they are the two biggest sectors in the US. So are you getting that much diversification? Maybe not. But um, look, spread across 50 different businesses, pretty much equal weighted. So two between 2 and 3% each position really makes up. Um, so look, it's definitely uh, an interesting ETF and it's not a bad way to try and get broad exposure to different thematics out there. Um, but as Andrew was touching upon, you've got to understand what is actually meant by moat. And I think in this case, they used the uh, Morningstar definition of moat or okay. the businesses that Morningstar tick off as having an acceptable moat. But competitive advantage and moat is an ambiguous term. I mean, yep. for us, we like to pick companies that are, okay, they've got a competitive advantage, but I think it's a bit more important to pick businesses that are growing their competitive advantage mm. rather than going yep. backwards. So you might have a very large competitive advantage, but is that competitive advantage retracing or is it increasing? Sometimes it's better to go with a business that's going from 1% market share to 2% market share rather than a business going from sure. you know, 100% backwards. So yep. that's something that we try and identify when picking businesses with competitive advantage. And I'm not sure if this ETF captures that or not. But again, it's an, an easy way to get a broad exposure to a macro theme that's out there. Okay. And I think that it's a, definitely a, an interesting ETF for people to look at if they want some international exposure. Okay. All right. So, um, and good manager, basically. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of good managers, let's go from uh, an ETF to a... Uh, Listed investment company, the MFF um, Capital Investments, mm -hmm. um, about 20 Australian stock exchange um, companies listed in this. What do you think of MFF, Mike? Yeah, so it's got, I think on this mandate, it can do international or Australian shares. I think yeah. this particular uh, LIC or ETMF um, is mainly focused internationally and we actually hold yeah. it for clients because oh. well, we focus on domestic shares. So That's the end's Magellan, is Magellan, it? Magellan, yeah. um, but basically this is a sort of a spin-off, if you like, from Magellan that is run by Chris Mackay, right. the other founder of Magellan that doesn't get as much of the headlines or accolades as Hamish Douglas, but is yep. in his own right a very good no, investor. Okay. Um, yep. So this is the fund that he runs himself with a lot of his own right. money. And it's, it so is, he's it is Bill Wyman to Mick Jagger. That's, sort of that's right, okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah although Keith or someone. Well, the, yeah, <laughs> same good band. That's yeah. right. So <laughs> we, we basically use inter, um, listed investment managers to capture international exposures because our focus right. is more domestic and we can't cover that bigger universe. So outsourcing it to a good manager such as Chris uh, in this instance can be a very good way to get active exposure to international markets. And it's been a very good performer for us over a sort of a five year oh, okay. period. It's right. had a, a tough, you know, six months, but a lot of different firms have. I yeah. think what's very interesting of this fund at the moment is they have 45% cash. Um, so if you do feel as though the market's going to have a bit of a retracement, they've got a lot of ammo up their sleeve to try and take advantage mm. of that. It has hurt them in the short term, given markets have charged as hard as they have. But his view as a manager is pretty pessimistic of where the markets are at the moment, the valuations are at the moment. So if you are looking for international exposure with a quality manager that's got ammo up their sleeve, we think MFF is mm. not a bad way to play it. Lots of visas, MasterCards. Uh, yeah. A few banks in there in Europe and the US are amongst the top 10 holdings. Yeah. Wouldn't be a bad, I suppose, hedge from, from um, uh, Andrew, from what Michael is saying, that if you're, if you're 
sort of confident on the market, but you've got this nagging view in the back of your mind, <laughs> God, what if it all goes to custard? Yeah. Um, having something like this with a manager who is optimistic and set to roll could be a, a good counter. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, frankly, I think it's probably a smarter way to do it than go yourself 100% to cash or, yeah. or, or you know, go short and, and those things which are really require some accurate timing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really just comes down to the manager. And, and Michael's nailed it. You, you, you're outsourcing um, yep. here. And that's fine. We outsource mm-hmm. in all areas of life. And investment, frankly, should be no different. So yep. if you're not the kind of person who really gets off on, on this kind of stuff, and frankly, most people don't, we understand that. <laughs> not everyone's as nerdy as us. And that's fine. That's fine. Yep. You get the full benefits of investing in the market by, by outsourcing that to a capable professional. But that's the key. Yep. Are they a capable professional? Um, the, the track record is, is, is obviously there. Um, so that, that gives you that gives you some confidence. Um, you know, will will that macro larger call prove right? I don't know. And yep. if, if it does, it's going to be brilliant, right? Because they're going to they're going to be cashed up. And that's what you want to do when, when things start to tumble is yeah. be going to that with a strong cash cash yeah. position. At least you know what you're getting into. Well, that's don't right. You? Yeah. Uh, and you can make the judgment based on that that's rather right. than be blindsided. Because like you can't have hubris all the time in your investment no. strategy. Sometimes it does pay to diversify away from yourself yeah, yeah. a little oh, bit, particularly absolutely. when it's a, an international sphere, when yeah. most people sitting at home or, or most domestic focused advisors don't have a bet, don't have an advantage, if you like. So yeah. that's the way that we, we look at I, it. Yeah. I do the same too. Yeah. So, there's so much work just on the ASX yeah, for, yeah. A, for yeah. an investor. And then yeah. there's this other market out there yeah. as well. So that's so, how I do it. Good tech maybe is an insurance policy. Uh, and good fund manager. There you go, Joe. Great suggestion for sending it in. And our final one comes from Sam, and it is Zuno. Um, they have a product called Germ Free 24. Um, it's basically a sanitizer, antibacterial protection. Um, and they've sort of been involved in this coronavirus story going forward. What do you think of uh, Zuno? Never heard of it, and, and then and then they just they came onto the scene in a big way. They were the right company at, at the, the right, right time. time. Yeah. You know, they they. So what one one thing that was interesting here in in the March quarter they made fifteen million dollars worth of sales, which was two times what they made in the entire previous first half. Right. Uh, you know, so the shares have just gone vertical. They're up four times this year because um, everyone's desperately trying to get hand sanitizer and all the yep. biological stuff that they've got. And, and that, that makes sense. It's great to see sales uh, growing, that there, there, is a, there is a financial underpinning to this share price rise. Yep. But what, what is interesting and what I would want to dig into more here is apparently they've got some patented technology, the antimicrobial agents that they're using are unique to them. Yep. How effective are they versus other ones? I would also make comment uh, similar to what I made before is that Generally speaking, when there's a huge demand um, for a certain product, there is a very immediate supply response as well. Yeah. So we, you've got a lot of micro breweries churning out hand yeah, sanitizer absolutely. now. You know, so 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 I think a, a lot of the potential here is that people go, it's a new world. Everyone's yeah. going to need all of this stuff, um, and and they're going to make a mint out of it, which maybe yeah. they will. But they've but, got a show they've got a different sanitizer that's better than just on the label kills better or cheaper or that kind of stuff and and so that's they're on a pro rata basis so just taking that wonderful quarter they just had multiplying that by four they're on seven times sales 
So that's, that, again, that's up there. If they can maintain this trajectory, fantastic. Then again, there's a, there's a parallel universe out there where we get a vaccine tomorrow, where you know, a whole other bunch of companies, competitors out there ramp up all of their supply as well, and then they go right back to where they started yeah. from. So, yeah. Yeah, what do you um, look, again, it's an interesting company because of the world that we live in. Um, the, the thing for mine is that it's all about the growth in future demand. And yes, we've had this enormous step up in growth now. And sure, that growth and demand might be maintained, but it's not going to keep compounding at that growth rate for forever because we've obviously had this urge and this need for this product. Yeah. And we're still going to need it. We don't need necessarily more of it. Yeah. except for just to replace what we've used in previous. But the, right. the growth rates are just not going to keep continuing at this, yeah. at this rate. So it's very expensive <clears throat> at current levels. Um, I understand they've got all these distribution agreements throughout Europe and, and throughout the UK, and, and that's great. Um, but what happens when we return to normal? Hmm. Sure, we might use more hand sanitizer than we did in the past, but we're not going to be maintaining these levels necessarily um, you know, in, in five, ten yep. years from now. So I just have a few question marks around that, as well as the fact that, is this product that unique? Um, can others replicate it? How easily is competition gonna build in this market? What are the margins gonna be like? All those sorts and of you're, questions. You're kind of competing, in a former life I actually was a microbiologist. It, um, and, and what you're competing with here is something like ethanol, which is the easiest, cheapest thing to make and super, super, super mm -hmm. effective. So yeah. if what you got that much better, is it that much cheaper to produce? I, I don't know, but that's what I want yep. to understand. Okay, all right, good explanation. There you go, Sam. Uh, just to recap on our final uh, five stocks, um, sole patterns and no from Michael. Um, yes, put in the bottom drawer from uh, from Andrew. Um, Isatana, uh, probably a bit bit small at the moment. Um, interesting technology you'd really need um, to get in and have a look at it. Uh, Van Eck, um, a yes from Michael. Uh, a maybe, I think, is best from, from Andrew. Uh, both guys like the MFF cap might be a good insurance policy because they're very negative and cashed up for the future. If you're not, you know, that could be a good offset in your portfolio. And uh, Zuno, a no. So uh, Andrew Page from Strawman, good to see you. Thanks, Koshi. And uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial, Thanks really for good to catch up. Yeah, talk to you soon. Um, that's it for the call. If you want to send in any suggestions for us to take a look at, stocks to cover, uh, email the call at osbiz.com.au or through Twitter, our handle is um, at osbiztv. Thank mm -hmm. you.